So I'm sitting on this chair as part of my opening sermon illustration. However, needless to say, I'm not sure I'm going to get back up now that I'm sitting here. So you'll have to excuse me this morning, guys, but I've got a chest infection and I'm just generally feeling a bit dizzy and rough this morning. Um, Hence the reason I only played for half the song. So I'm actually thinking now that I'm sitting here, I might just stay here. Um, Because I'd rather be focusing on what the Lord would have me say than worrying about the earth moving under my feet if I'm standing there. So I say, if, if the Lord strengthens me, I'll get back up. But just in saying that, though, can people actually see me if I stay here? That's the first thing. Or do you want me to slide slightly more that way? So I say, I'm not going to have this mic stand in front of him the whole time, don't worry, but it's just so I can hold this for the illustration just now. But, but yeah, I don't know um, what the Lord does to me, but every time I preach, I've said this before, but I think I maybe need to start knocking these requests back from Stevie because it's been one thing after another this week. But, you know, just trusting that the Lord does have a message to say this morning. I'm not trusting, I know he has a message to say, and hopefully I say I can, I can give it to the best of my ability this morning. But I thought I'd start by doing a bit of CBB's story time this morning. And for those that don't have kids or grandkids and have a clue what I'm talking about, then maybe I'll wind the clock back a bit and say Jack and Ori, for those that maybe need that reference this morning. So, are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. So today's story is called Love by Emma Dodd. Love is in the morning when you wake and smile at me. Love is when we talk together, happy as can be. Sometimes love is quiet and it needs no words at all. Love is there to catch you when you are about to fall. Love is when we huddle close and shelter from a shower. Love is when we take the time to stop and smell a flower. I love you when you get it right and when you get it wrong. The world is much more lovely since the day you came along. I love you so and when I try to count the reasons why, I find there are more reasons than there are stars in the sky. That's one of Zachary's most recent storybooks and I love those words. And obviously, especially... Mummy and my boy. The big rabbit and the little rabbit. There are more reasons I love you than stars in the sky. And you know, I wanted to start with that this morning. Because I want to take you to another book this morning that has a lot to say about love. A greater love than between a mummy and our boy, even. A greater love. In fact, I think I might just continue using my prop. I'm quite liking this. Can we use my hands free? Yeah, a greater love. And, you know, I don't have a lot of notes this morning. What I have is scripture verses. I mean, the Lord was saying to me, I want you to speak on love this morning. I kept getting that song, and I'm not going to sing it for obvious reasons this morning, but yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. So this morning I'm not going to embellish a lot. I'm going to say what I think the Lord wants me to say in between the scriptures. But it's mainly going to be scripture verses this morning. To remind us of just how much our Lord loves us. How much God loves you 
and I. And first of all, it's important to grasp that God's nature is love. His very nature. So twice in 1 John 4, in verses 8 and in verses 16, it says, God is love. God is love. That's his nature. He is love. And you know, that can sometimes be still hard for us to grasp, though, because your definition of love can be shaped by so many things and so many experiences and sometimes the wrong experiences and the pains and the hurts can influence what we think of as love. So if God is love, what kind of love are we talking about? Well, of course, I had to start at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The famous passage that we hear at virtually every wedding that you attend, every church wedding anyway. But you know, this passage isn't talking about like just the love between a man and a woman at a wedding. It's talking about God's perfect love, divine love, because the Greek word that is used over and over in this passage is agape. Agape, the highest form of love. Sacrificial love that expects nothing in return. So 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I taught like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. God is love. And what is love? It is patient. It is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking or easily angered. And it keeps no records of wrongs. That is love. That is perfect love. Agape love. The highest form of love. And what does God do with this amazing, amazing love? says in 1 John 3, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Now there's a verse. See what love God has lavished on us. I love that word. Lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. He loves us. 
He loves us with a love that we have just read in 1 Corinthians 13 that never fails. That's some promise, that. It never fails. He loves us with an everlasting love. That's how Jeremiah 31 and 3 says. An everlasting love that never fails. I don't know about you, but I want to cling on to that love. He loves us with a covenant love, which means a promise. It says in Deuteronomy 7 and 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. You can take that to the bank, as they say. God is love. He loves you with an everlasting love that never fails. You know, the whole of the Bible is this amazing love story between God and his people. Have you ever thought about it like that? John Eldridge calls it the sacred romance in his book. It's this love story between God and his people. And you look through from the Old Testament to the New and you just see a God who continues to love his people. You do see a heavenly father who rebukes them at times when they don't do what he says and punishes them, but that's what a good father does to teach his children. But ultimately, you see a people who time and time again mess up. They fail, they do wrong things, they sin. All the stuff that you and I do as well. And they moan at God as well. You see that all the way through scripture. God, why have you failed us? And they forget the good things God has done for them because the minute something hard hits them, they moan again. And yet, what do we see? We see this incredible story of a God who never gives up pursuing his people, loving his people. You see this amazing, amazing love story. And just when you thought it couldn't get any worse in the sense of the world couldn't get any more messed up and his people couldn't get any more messed up, what does God do? Does he walk away? No, he does something even more incredible. He sends Jesus. Just at that point where you think it can't get any worse. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just start reading the Old Testament. A messed up world. Again, sounds very familiar. And just at that point where you think things can't get any worse and surely he's got to just say, enough's enough. You know, but no, he sends Jesus. He sends Jesus in the form of a baby. And you're like, John, it's Easter, not Christmas. But bear with me, it's important we grasp that he came in human form. Human likeness. God himself become as man. And why am I saying that? Because he felt every pain. He suffered as we suffer. He knew loneliness. He knew rejection. He was a refugee. I just pause every time I think about that now. He was a refugee. Very common problem for some poor people in our world at the minute. And you know, Jesus himself was a refugee. Had to leave their own land. Despised, rejected, even by his own people. There is absolutely nothing that you or I could go through that Jesus doesn't understand. There is no hurt, 
heartbreak, sorrow that we could ever go through that he doesn't understand because he's been there, he's walked the road. And then it gets, of course, even more incredible because he didn't just come to understand what we were going through, but he came for a specific purpose. John 3.16, probably one of the most famous verses in the whole of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. And then in 1 John 3.16, it says, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Real love because Jesus gave up his life for us. You know, in the Old Testament, sacrifices had to be made. Lambs had to be sacrificed and other animals, etc. To make atonement and sacrifice before God so that his people could have a relationship with him. And that was done through priests as well. It wasn't even done directly. And then Jesus comes along and he pays the price and makes the sacrifice for us. And it says in in scripture when you read... When Jesus dies on the cross, it says the curtain was torn in two. What does that mean? It was the curtain to the Holy of Holies, that place where the priests went, and they had to be clean and cleansed before they could even enter that, and then they went and made sacrifices before the Lord. When Jesus died, that curtain was torn in two, so that you and I could have a relationship with God that's direct. There's no need for sacrifices and killing lambs, He paid the ultimate price so that we can have a direct relationship with him. And that word atonement, I love Nicky Gumbel's description of that because it's so easy to understand. He says, think about it like this. At one meant. At one meant. In other words, you and I can be at one with the Father because of Jesus. Again, I'm going to steal another Nicky Gumbel illustration because I love it. You know, he says that there was God and there was man created in this perfect relationship to start with in the garden when man was created. And then sin after sin, the rubbish mounts up and it blocks the direct relationship between God and between man. Then along comes Jesus And he says, I'm going to take that from you. And he takes it to the cross with him. And yet again, God and man have a direct relationship because of Jesus. And all that sin and all that rubbish gets left at the cross. It gets left at the cross. Because at the cross, it is finished. It is finished. Sorry. 
I'm looking at my notes here. And they're getting a bit lost, and I'm apologies. Yeah, at the cross, it was finished. And then on Easter Sunday, he rose again. And I think this is why I'm pausing, because I think the Lord's going to have to give me strength, because I can't talk about this bit sitting down. It is finished. You and me, we can live an it is finished life every single day of the week, not just on Easter Sunday, because it is finished. We have victory because of what Jesus has done. I said next week we're going to party. And I meant it. It wasn't just a joke. We are going to bring the house down next week because it is Easter Sunday and he is alive. But you know, it would be terrible if we only partied on Easter Sunday. We should be partying every single day of the week. We should get up in the morning. And as we heard last week, actually, in Stevie's video, we should be saying, thank you, Jesus, that I'm alive. Thank you, Lord, that I have breath in my lungs. Because at the cross it was finished. Greater love have no man than this that he laid down his life for his friends. And Jesus laid down his life. But more importantly, he didn't stay on the cross. He didn't stay in the tomb. But he rose again, victorious. And again, that doesn't just count for back then for us. Because we stand victorious knowing that one day he's coming back again. That's another promise we have in Scripture the Lord is going to return. And just at the point when we think the world couldn't get any more messed up, yet again, God is going to send Jesus. You can take that to the bank. (laughs) And you know, I talked about the Old Testament and sacrificial lambs. Do you know, there's lots of Old Testament prophecy leading up to the cross and to what Jesus did. And you know, the, God used the prophets to try and say to his people, the Messiah is coming and he's going to make a direct path for you to have a relationship with God again. And there was lots of illustrations to do with the Lamb. Jesus, the Lamb of God, takes away the sins of the world and that was used, obviously, to speak very directly to people, as I say, that had to bring these sacrifices. So it was easy for them to understand It wasn't easy for them to accept, unfortunately, but it was easy for them to understand the message. But, you know, we've never lived in those times. And we're not, well, most of us are not Jewish by history in that sense. So, you know, sometimes it can be difficult for us to understand as much as we appreciate for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. But it can be hard for us to sometimes understand, though, what does that mean for for us personally, though, in the here in the now. What does that sacrifice really mean? And I've said this before when I've spoken, I'm just going to say it again, but it means we are free to lose because he is one. We are free to be weak because he has already been strong and still is strong. We are free to fail because he's already succeeded and continues to succeed. You know, I'm a perfectionist. And again, I think this is why for me personally, it took quite a long time for me to fully grasp what the cross meant for me personally. 
I've come to understand that's exactly what it means. It means that all striving cease as we sing in the words of in Christ alone. I don't need to strive. I don't need to work hard to earn God's favor or to be perfect before I come to him. But his perfect love, as we started off reading, means that he loves me, even in those moments where I might not love him. That blows me away. He loved me first. Before I even came to him, he loved me. And I don't need to strive, work hard, in that sense, and I need to obey him. I need to be clear on that in his word. But I don't need to strive. I can rest this morning and every morning in him and in his power and in his victory and in his plan because he's already won the victory. He is alive, therefore I can be made alive in Christ every single day. It says in Ephesians 2, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But, I like this but, God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so none of us can boast about it for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God, so rich in mercy. Grace, the undeserved and unmerited favor of God. Love that he lavishes on us this morning. You know, your worth is not based on how many friends you have. In life or on Facebook. Your worth is not based on what car you drive. It's not based on what clothes you wear, what job you have, or even if you have a job at all. Your worth is based on the fact that God is love. His love never fails and that he loved you so much. He sent Jesus, his one and only son, to die for you so that you can live in direct relationship with him as a child of the king. A child of the king. He's king of kings and lord of lords. And if we accept him, we become children of the king of kings and the lord of lords. I felt a song coming on there, Ian. Child of a king. It was one of my grandpa Russell's favourites. I'm the child of a king.
And you know what can separate us from God's love? Romans 8. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honour at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from God's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from God's love. You know, I'm looking at that bit we've just read here. Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow can separate us from God's love. I wasn't sure if I was going to share anything personal this morning. In fact, I fought against it. But I thought, well, if the Lord prods me, I'll just have to. Because again, I'm very conscious that I never want to stand here and say the words that maybe the Lord is speaking to me personally about. Because that's not what you should do when you're up in this spot. You should be saying what the Lord wants to tell the church. But sometimes, you know, the two messages collide. And you're preaching it yourself as the Lord has asked you to prepare a message. And I alluded to the fact that it's been quite difficult preparing. And in fact, Stevie and I joked about that last week when he says, Dion's speaking. And some of you might have heard me comment from the seat. I really hope so. Because I have had no time to prepare, really, until yesterday if I'm being honest although the Lord told me I had to speak on love and um, one of the reasons for that is I don't know, some people remember I stood here the last time speaking although that was nearly a year ago now I think actually because it was last summer and I had all my suitcases and I talked about how big is your suitcase and one of the biggest suitcases I had in stage was fear and I was talking about the things we, the baggage we drag behind us that the Lord wants us to lay aside and to trust him. I mean, I used the fear suitcase. I remember giving the example of when I was put at risk at work and about trusting God, but then I kept packing my fear suitcase with my plan B just in case. Well, I stand before you 12 months on and I've been displaced at work again. And I will be out of a job come June if I can't find another one. So yet again, over the last three weeks, I've been laying it at the foot of the cross, but then maybe a couple of days later, I've been packing my wee suitcase of fear, just in case. But, you know, I don't necessarily mention it for just that reason, though, from the fear side, because perfect love casts out all fear. Another verse we know from Scripture. But I mention it more because 
Getting back to what I said earlier, our worth is not found in these things. But it can feel like that sometimes. You know, I don't know, for anyone that's been made redundant, or even just put in that position of risk of being made redundant, there's this common feeling that everyone has. Male, female as well. It's amazing how even the guys get emotional on the day it happens and you get handed that big envelope. But this thing happens that in that moment, and for that day at least, sometimes a bit longer, it feels very personal. doesn't matter how many people are in that room with you getting that same message, but you feel like you've been rejected. Even though it's a company saying it, they don't want you, you're ready to go. And then on Tuesday there, I see another reason I didn't have time to prepare, because I've been doing CVs and interview prep, and on Tuesday I got an interview, and by the Friday I didn't get that job. So that's one door closed, another two to go. And again, on Friday, I felt rubbish. Because whilst our competency-based interview system is an absolute nightmare for anyone to pass, we're going to say, anyone that does competency-based interviews know, it's a tick box and you have to hit the boxes and, oh. But again, regardless of all the reasons you tell yourself at first, and these interviews are hard and you don't always get it, and even though I knew as well, well, that's not the job for me, because the Lord's just shut that door, and that was what I was praying for. Lord, shut that door if that's not the right job, because it was a tricky job, I'm going to say that. It was challenging. But at the same time, you think, oh my goodness, if I can't get a job with limited competition, because again, this was a closed role, this one, with only another one person in for it, then I must be a failure, God, if I can't even get that job. That's what goes through your mind. But our worth is not found in our jobs and how many friends we have, as I said, and all this stuff. Our worth is found in the fact that God loved us. And he loved us first, as I've said before, before we even loved him. And we have the cross this morning. Sorry, I'm pointing there. I wish I had one, actually, now. But we have the cross that we can lay our burdens down. Because we have just read in Romans that neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow and not even the powers of hell can ever separate us from God's love. And you know, as I was preparing this morning, I kept thinking, Lord, I'm not sure. Is there enough here? And I don't mean that message is not enough, but I just mean, as I said to you before, it's lots of scripture. And I didn't get a lot of other things to embellish it. But the Lord just kept saying, no, you just need to tell people to be loved this morning. And that was the phrase, to be loved. Allow yourself this morning to be loved. I'm going to do the unusual thing just now of quoting one song, but I'm actually going to play another in a minute. But this song I'm about to quote wasn't, it was a bit more up-tempo, so it wasn't right for what we're about to do. But I'd still like to quote the words. And it's the song Be Loved by Christy Knuckles. And it says, Have you ever let yourself be loved by the one who made you? Have you ever told your soul to believe that his heart is on your side? You could even try to run away, but there is nothing you can do. So just be loved. Be loved, he loves you. Have you ever let yourself be held by the one who holds this world? Have you ever told your soul to rejoice that his arms are open wide? You could even try to run away, but he'd come running after you. So just be held. Be held. He holds you. 
then just be loved. Be loved because he loves you. And I say, if you forget a lot of the other things I've said this morning, you just need to remember that he loves you. And he wants you this morning to just allow yourself to be loved. To be held in his arms this morning. So that's what we're going to do. In a moment, we're going to put a track on. And it's by Carrie Job, and it's what love is this. And we're going to sit in the stillness of this song. And we're just going to allow the Lord to love us. At least I hope that's what you're going to do. So I should maybe phrase it in another way. Please allow the Lord to love you. I can't speak for you. But just allow his waves of love. Because you know, that's what I'm praying for in this moment. That we feel it like waves upon us this morning like a big hug and just allow him to love you this morning Father God we thank you so much that you love us we thank you for that love we thank you for your grace so undeserved That you would love us in all our mess at times. and The many times we do our own thing rather than what you would have us do. And that you are always there loving us. With open arms ready to welcome us back and forgive us when we do wrong. And Father God... This week we look to the cross as we approach Good Friday. And oh God, I want to thank you for the cross. I thank you for Jesus. And Father God, I lay my burdens down at the cross this morning. And my prayer is that everyone else who's carrying stuff this morning would do the same. And that we would leave it there and then we would walk away in victory, alive in you this morning. Father God, we just thank you that we are loved. Steve. Sorry, could you come to the piano, please? I would start this one off a cappella, but I say I don't think I've got much voice and I don't trust myself in the key. But, you know, I wonder if we could just sing that chorus, Yes, Jesus Loves Me. Just before we sing our final song. Yes. Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me. 
Tells me so.